Hi, I'm Doc Searles. Today, Jonathan Bennett and I are going to be talking about NetData, which does real-time health monitoring and performance troubleshooting on Floss Weekly coming up next. Floss Weekly is brought to you from LastPass Studios. Stay in control when it comes to your company's access points and authentication. LastPass makes enterprise-level security simple for your remote workforce. Check out lastpass.com slash twit to learn more. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Floss Weekly, episode 578, recorded on May 13th, 2020. Net data. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by LastPass. LastPass manages every entry point to your business so you can mitigate risk whether you are working in the office or remote. No matter where your employees are, LastPass helps you keep peace of mind. Visit lastpass.com twit to find out how they can help you. And by ExpressVPN. Now that a lot of you are working from home, it's even more important to choose a VPN you can trust to protect you from online threats. For three extra months free with a one-year package, go to expressvpn.com slash floss. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Doc Searles. This is uh, twit.tv. Floss is the new Floss show. I'm your new uh, your new guy. I'm your new host here. And um, and and joining me is uh, Jonathan Bennett, who's a veteran at this, and he is really good at this and i am completely a rookie i will be making mistakes and you will see all of them and that's part of what what this is about i'm a radio veteran not a tv veteran though this isn't even really tv even though it's not tv um and our our guest this morning is uh, is costed sousis i've been instructed on the pronunciation of his name uh he's the ceo of NetData, uh, which does uh, real-time health monitoring and performance troubleshooting and a great deal more. Um, and he'll be educating us about this. And I can guarantee that Jonathan has already studied and prepped for this much better than than I have. So um, uh, if I'm hoping they will appear on screen as well uh, before I, <laughs> so we can chat a bit about this. Um, hey, Doc. There, there's Good Jonathan. to see you today. Now, now I'm reassured. So... Um, <laughs> so, Jonathan, I, you already know where you are, but the rest of us may not. Uh, so in, in the physical world, which we still have, uh, yeah. we're be, be the. <laughs> yeah, I'm here in I, I call it the corporate headquarters because I work out of my home. So it's the home office. Uh, I'm here in uh, Lawton, Oklahoma, kind of a flyover state for probably most of our, our audience. But it's where I call home. Uh, I, I've flown over it often. It's the uh, part of the American outback. I guess <laughs> we're mm-hmm. we're. Um, I'm in the uh, in the back front here. That, that, but what you see behind me is is a uh, the non the non watery part of Santa Barbara um, in California. So um, and and Costa, where uh, where are you when you're talking here? I, I, well, he hasn't joined us yet, so that that's my first mistake. There we go. <laughs> so we'll be bringing bringing him in. Um, and uh, uh, so I guess I could just go into our our first. Our first read here because this is important. I, I, I should tell you, one important thing about me is that I am a great believer in sponsorship in broadcasting and in publishing. Um, and I'm pretty known for the guy who hates being spied on uh, uh, by advertisers. And I love sponsorship because it's an alternative to that. And it speaks of the sponsor's belief in the in the in the show and in the publisher and we have one of those here uh and and it's it's in, incredibly important to me that 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 they're supporting us and it's last pass um uh last pass this so this episode is brought to you by last pass your remote workforce is a vital part of your business but it can also be a security risk uh, last pass easily transforms or transitions from in office to in home uh, with ease uh, your IT team, of course, is still the gatekeeper. Uh, LastPass enables IT to remain in complete control over which employees are accessing which resources, no matter where they're working, for unified visibility over access and authentication. LastPass ensures your employees have secure access to their work applications with SSO and password management, and it offers an offline mode 
for both password management and multi-factor authentication so your employees can gain access no matter where they may be. LastPass makes your team more productive and secure and easy for your team to collaborate with coworkers when working remotely. It enables remote employees to securely share passwords across teams in order to stay on top of critical projects. Uh, one thing you may not know is that the average business has 185 shared folders. It's critical for business to consider implementing policies and tracking reports on shared password activity to ensure employees are operating securely. Seamless collaboration with coworkers is essential when working remotely. And with the latest uptick in phishing attacks, I've had two in the last two days, uh, you need LastPass. LastPass reduces the risk of phishing schemes by never auto-filling passwords on suspicious websites. For remote employees accessing your corporate VPN, LastPass adds an additional layer of security directly to your VPN through biometric multi-factor authentication. And we use LastPass here in Twit, and uh, and there we have lots of good stories about how that that works out. And I need to mention that Twit and LastPass are presenting cybersecurity and identity trends unlocked with Leo, Steve Gibson, Andrew Keen, and Gerald Bushell. That's Thursday, May fourteenth. That's tomorrow, at in as we're live um, at one p.m. specific time. You can watch this uh, live panel at Twit tv slash live and afterward on our twit events feed they'll discuss how the new decade will impact digital identity for businesses and individuals plus much more be sure to watch on may 14th at twit.tv slash live get civil security across every access point with lastpass visit lastpass.com slash twit to find out how they can help your business and employees stay productive and secure that's lastpass.com slash twit okay so back to back to the show let the show go on um and i need to get to the right page on my big screen it's not enough our our guest today costa Sousis, I've been instructed on this, the CEO and founder of NetData. Um, and rather than me uh, bungling, though I've already learned a little bit about NetData, how, uh, what that is, um, uh, Costa, tell us a little bit, tell, tell us a little bit so you can cue us up and we can start asking you questions. So, hi, hi from uh, Athens, <laughs> Greece. So uh, about NetData, eh? NetData is a project I started in. Uh, I started developing in 2014, out of uh, frustration. So I used a lot of monitoring tools and uh, online services, and uh, you know, almost all open source and almost all uh, commercial solutions that existed by that time, to monitor a large cloud infrastructure. Uh, we had a lot of problems. Uh, a lot of frustration for a year we were struggling to, to identify the issues and uh, solve them. So I decided that uh, I had to do something about it. And <laughs> this is how NetData was born. So I started coding on weekends and, uh, you know, nights and the like. And uh, after a couple of years, after successfully troubleshooting the issues we had, uh, I decided to release this project on GitHub. It was open source from day one, but uh, I, I decided to press the release button. So I did that, and uh, I, di I did a single Reddit uh, post on Reddit, and uh, it went viral. Uh, people, you know, uh, downloaded and used it like crazy. It, it got about uh, 10,000 GitHub stars in just a couple of weeks. And uh, since then, of course, I dedicated my whole life to it. Um, uh, I started developing whatever the community needed. I started supporting other contributors, um, growing, uh, bore, growing and maturing the code base and, uh, you know, uh, developing a lot more features. Uh, so today, NetData is a project that uh, has about... Uh, 2.5 million users. Uh, it grows by about 4,000 new users per day. Uh, it is being downloaded about uh, actually more than 700,000 times every day. Um, we are a company since uh, September 18. Uh, we have a company to monetize the data. Um, 
This company today has 40 fully remote engineers working uh, full-time uh, all over the world. We are in 18 time zones, everyone working from home. Uh, and we have been funded with uh, almost $21 million. Uh, so that's the short wow. story. <laughs> That's a success story. Um, I'm, and it's, it's interesting. I wonder how many, how many companies these days like start on 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 GitHub or on, or on Reddit. Um, so the, um, I mean, so so when you're managing so many remote employees at at one time, I mean, what is? Are you collaborating on on uh, on on Slack? Are you collaborating on on internal tools? Are you doing it all on GitHub? How much of it is live, and how much of it is just code comes in and gets patched in, and uh, and all that? How's it? How's that work? So for sure, remote working is harder. It's a bit harder compared to local working, and the problem is that uh, you need also people that are self-driven, let's say, that uh, have the ambition, you know, they, 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 they see their work as a challenge because, you know, you cannot control time. You cannot control uh, how people spend their time. So the only thing you can control is the result, is if, there is, if the result is good, if the result is acceptable, if the result is uh, built on time on to, with the right cost. Uh, of course, we use every tool imaginable. So, yeah, of course, Slack, of course, Zoom, Google, a lot of tools from Google, Hangouts, you know, Meet, uh, G Suite. So, uh, but many, many, of course, a lot of GitHub uh, and many more, many more tools to help us uh, coordinate, share the decisions, you know, have a common understanding, have a common project plan. Uh, it works. It's a bit slower compared to local working, uh, but it works. It's a bit harder too because you have a lot of meetings at the end of the day. Uh, as a manager, you run a lot, really a lot of meetings, <laughs> online meetings, I mean. Uh, but it's fun at the same time. It's very fun. Hey, Costa, I, I want to jump in if I can. It, it's super interesting to talk about kind of the, the structure of the business. But before we get into all those questions, I'd like to know what – what exactly is net data? I mean, we talked about remote management. What, is, what does that mean in this case? So are we just collecting data and displaying it, or are we controlling a bunch of servers? What's, what's kind of the niche that net data fills? So the idea with monitoring, especially with metrics, you know, you know observability today is about metrics, logs, and traces. Net data is only about metrics. We don't do tracing and logs yet. Uh, so regarding trace, uh, regarding metrics, what we, what you do is that you collect data, you visualize data, and you run health checks on on data. So the the big difference with net data, net data changed a bit the game. So what I I made differently at the beginning was that I said, come on, monitoring should most of the time, especially infrastructure monitoring, has to be almost fully automated. So there is no point to configure again and again the same thing. Eh? Uh, what we use is standardized applications. We use uh, a, a web server or a database server or uh, the operating system. There is no point to configure everything in monitoring by hand. So what I did is that uh, I built a tool that auto-detects everything nothing to configure there. Uh, it's oh, oh, everything inside inside it so there are no moving there are not a, not a lot moving part, moving parts. it's one thing uh, that you install the agent then a data agent. Uh, but then what I also did is that I wanted a tool that a, able to sur to surface all the insights. I wanted a tool to actually kill the console the, the, the system console for troubleshooting. So what I did is that uh, I said every metric has to be collected every second, like the console tools, the console tool, tools do. Uh, and the visualization should be automatic. So every metric should be somehow visualized. And <coughs> this visualization has to happen in a meaningful way so that people that are having in front of them, I don't know, 
2,000 or 3,000 metrics uh, will not lose their mind. Because, you know, if I give you just 2,000 metrics in a bucket, you are lost. You need a book to understand what you, are, what you have in front of you. Uh, so, Nedata, uh, what Nedata did is around these three pillars. Uh, high resolution metrics for every, for every metric as a standard. Um, meaningful presentation so that uh, all the metrics are visualized and correlated and all this knowledge is inside the tool. And uh, simplicity, so make it, uh, make it work by itself. Make it uh, auto-detect the metrics, attach the alarms to them. Uh, so the, the final result is that you install the data and you are done. Seconds later, you open the dashboard, it's fully, it renders all the metrics, uh, you can, uh, you, it automatically attaches alarms to them. So you just install the data, nothing more. And this is why people loved it so much, because it simplified their life significantly. When, when we talk about metrics, just to make sure we're on the same page, are we talking about things like uh, processor load, how much RAM is being used, uh, how much free disk space you've got, uh, your temperature that your CPU is running at, so th that sort of data? Yes, but, you know, most of the monitoring solutions that existed and still do, uh, the, all the other solutions apart from the data, provide just an abstract view. So you install another monitoring solution on a system and you get, on, on an empty, let's say, VM on Amazon or on Google, and you get about 100 metrics. That's it. So on an empty thing, on an empty Linux box, you will get 100 metrics. On the same box, the data will collect about 2,000 metrics. So what's the difference? Eh? So instead of, instead of collecting for uh, CPU only the CPU load, Nedata will collect everything related to it. How much uh, the CPU the processes uh, have used? Uh, what about the interrupts? What about you know the software, the IRQs? Uh, what about every, every little detail? Eh? How many processes? Uh, so. The same with disks. Instead of going uh, into a disk and saying, okay, how much free space it has, uh, how many IO bandwidth it uses, how many IOPS it executes, Nedata uh, collects a lot more. The, everything, actually, that you can get out of the console. Because uh -huh. I remind you, the whole point was to kill the console. Eh? <laughs> I'll try not to take too much offense at that. <laughs> uh, I, I've I've used uh, I've used cacti in the past, which sounds like it's kind of mm -hmm. kind of meeting the same uh, uh, the same need. Is it is it fair to compare cacti to uh, NetData? Uh, yes and no. I think that cacti was uh, developed mainly for uh, network, and then it was expanded to support a few more metrics. Uh, the key difference if you use the data is that, um, let's say that you will feel that there is a big difference on, on the capacity of the project. So the project is not just about rendering a few charts. Uh, it's about providing a dashboard that you can use to troubleshoot. So the data is interactive. Cacti is not. Cacti is very limited eh, in what it can provide, the, the functionality it can provide. Uh, so the data is a troubleshooting tool, let's say, tool. Eh? It's, it, it, it tries to help you figure out what is wrong with the system. Uh, so you can highlight areas and you can navigate on all the other charts and you can, you know, uh, compare charts together. So all this functionality together with the alarms uh, I think it's a lot more compared to Cacti. Mm -hmm. um, just because I'm curious, does it use the round-robin database underneath the hood? No. We have developed our own database. So uh, a few years ago, when I started, it was a very small uh, database I had developed uh, in the project. Uh, now we have a much better uh, DP engine. Again, uh, it is ours. Uh, this uh, this allows the data to be a lot more efficient in uh, and fast and uh, with a much smaller footprint in uh, maintaining these large databases. Because you know, 
the data collects every metric every second. So if you have a thousand metrics every second, is you understand that you have uh, and you need four bytes per metric, you understand that after a day, you need a lot of megabytes of RAM. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's 200, 300, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. So the whole point is how to maintain this database without influencing the system. So the data is extremely light on the systems it runs. And uh, at, the same, at the same time, being extremely fast in servicing the requests about this data. So in a data, for example, for all chart refreshes, uh, in a data response in uh, less than a millisecond, which is, which is a, a great achievement, I think, for a monitoring yeah. tool. Yeah, that's impressive. Uh, is it is that database program been spun out into its own open source project, or does it just live inside of NetData for now? No, no, it lives inside NetData for now. Okay, I I know that I have found uh, things you wouldn't expect that you can do with uh, RRD. Uh, the round robin database, and so I, you know, for example, I'm doing temperature monitoring in my house with RRD <laughs> and not using any anything else from Cacti, and uh, <laughs> RRD itself is beginning to show its age. And so, if that was a spun yeah, out project, yeah. I would be very interested in, in looking into that to replace some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, there are a lot of NetData. The, the design of NetData is ideal even for IoT. You know, um, we have. Uh, a home automation company that is installing the data on the sensors. Eh? So you mm-hmm. you have the sensors that have a little bit of CPU and RAM and you know <laughs> some mm-hmm. I/O there, and they run the data. So the data has been developed uh, as an embedded project. It has been developed to be embeddable, uh, and. Uh, I think you will be amazed to see how fast uh, the data can be, given the the, the things it, it does in uh, in, uh, in a Raspberry Pi, for example. Eh? Uh, so, so that is something else I wanted to ask about. Do you does NetData do an install on every box that it's monitoring, or does it have support for pulling data over simple simple network management protocol? So. Uh, you are supposed to install the data on every host you own, eh? on every host, on every computer you run. But the data is also able to collect every data, each data is able to collect data even from remote sources like SNMP uh, or like remote databases or even, you know, remote systems. Then what the data can do is that it can stream metrics between the data servers. So you can build hierarchies. You can build a whole network of the data servers where you have aggregation points like a pyramid. And uh, you know, on all of these points, all the streaming is real time. So uh, even if you stream, I don't know, uh, <laughs> a few nodes further, all the data, because we also support proxies and the likes, so even if you stream data further away, the data still uh, are going there rapidly in, uh, in less than a millisecond. And uh, all the functionality can also be run by the data masters. So you can have health checks or you can have you know, dashboards or whatever else on the data masters. So the whole point is that you distribute the data everywhere and then... Uh, of course, you can query all the data at the place they are. You don't need the centralization point. But if you want to have uh, centralization points, you can. And you are supposed to stream metrics uh, with the data protocol to this master server um, or many master servers and um, uh, query them instead of querying all the nodes. So it's, uh, and it's then more complicated. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm curious now as we as we talk about this kind of hierarchy, um, when you get it installed like that, I assume it's possible to have a single dashboard that represents your your five servers that are installed or your ten servers that are installed, right? Yes. So this is what we do. So the open source thing, the open source agent, is a single node monitoring. What we provide out of the box is that you install. And a data on a box, it collects metrics from that box or from remote from from remote uh, endpoints. But then the dashboard is uh, representing is presenting all the data of that single agent. Even if you, even if you merge all the data, if you stream all the data to one master server, 
still all the nodes on that server are, uh, let's say, separate. You cannot have them together on the same uh, browser web page. Um, what we do now is that uh, we are developing a data.cloud. Uh, this is a free SaaS offering, so we give this to everyone for free. And what this does is that it connects to all your net data. Uh, you claim your net data to, main, to make sure that they are yours. And then on, on that SaaS offering, you have multi-node dashboards. You can configure custom dashboards like in Grafana. Uh, you can uh, have cross-node health checks. So... Uh, the agent, the open source agent you install is single node monitoring, and we want to be the best single node monitoring out there. And then we offer a free service uh, where you connect all your data together to have all of this infrastructure monitoring, let's say, view. And and what is the what is the technique that you guys have used to generally speaking, and then also with having multiple servers together uh, to, to make it useful without being an overload? Because you, you mentioned having a thousand different metrics collected at once. And I'm just, I'm just imagining if you're trying to look at all of that at once, it would just be essentially mm-hmm. noise and be very difficult to, to make heads or tails out of the data. Yeah, so that's, that's the whole point. Uh, this, is, this is the problem, the, the key problem that data tries to solve. So... Um, if you go to any other solution and you look at a thousand metrics, you will be lost. You will be lost. Why? Because th- th- these metrics lack metadata. They are not organized. They are, they are not correlated. It's just a series of uh, of uh, metrics, one below the other. In a data, you have a very well-defined structure where all the metrics appear. So. You can go to network interfaces. For every network interface, we may collect 10 or 20 metrics. For every disk, uh, we may have 30 or 40 metrics. Uh, For every, let's assume that you run a database, you may have, uh, I don't know, 100 metrics for your MySQL or uh, 30 metrics for uh, uh, your web server. So we have a hierarchy, we have a, a menu, let's say, that makes everything uh, reasonable, so you will not be lost. That's the and, whole point. And what about what what about alarms? You you mentioned this, and I'm curious about it. So one of the things that's super useful when you're collecting data like this is to be able to have something that says, "Oh, hey, this server CPU has spiked, or this fan on this server suddenly is showing zero RPMs. Something has gone wrong here. We need a human to come look at this." What what does that process look like, and and what kinds of uh, avenues does net data have to be able to get a hold of the right person so uh, net data is uh, the first thing is that net data collects all these metrics and in this pipeline the data collection pipeline and while storing them in the database it checks them these checks are, are alive are, are fast real time eh, per second so when we detect an issue we trigger an alarm this alarm then, is configured to send notifications. The default notification is an email and on your dashboard, on your web browser. These are the defaults. But then you can have, uh, we have about 30 or 40, I think. So you can have uh, PagerDuty, Slack, uh, uh, Twilio. You can post it on an IRC channel. You can post it on, uh, you know. So so the, the whole point is that the notification can then be, is personalized. Is is the user selects how wants to to be notified. Uh, and and then I'm I'm curious. I was just taking a look when we go to when someone goes to uh, say deploy it on a, a Linux server. Do you guys have uh, packages for say CentOS and Debian and Ubuntu? Some of the the popular ones. Yes, we have packages. Binary packages you can install for the popular ones, but we also support, uh, we provide a build script that builds it from source directly from GitHub on your machine. And uh, we also have a static build so that you can install it on any Linux box that runs a kernel. A Linux kernel, yeah? So, so I've, I've got uh, one um a question and uh, less informed than um, 
than Jonathan's, and you may have already answered it in a way, but I, um, I'm familiar with how in, in, uh, in the healthcare world, the more data points you get on, on what's going on diagnostically, the more the system can start extracting out diagnoses that a single doctor might not know. And I'm wondering if that, you know, if you're doing something, I'm sure you're doing something like that, but what that, what that process is and how the community shares back, hey, wait a minute, I saw these 15 um, slightly odd data points out of the zillions that you're collecting, and we put it together to see that this looks like a warning towards something or other, and uh, and that's what – there's a diagnosis we could share there. Yeah. So traditionally what happens is that, uh, you know, as I said at the beginning, most of the monitoring solutions are going abstract. So it's like it's like going on a helicopter to see the, 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 the traffic on the roads, eh? You, go, you, you get the helicopter. The problem with this is that, uh, you know, the limited metrics they have uh, forces them to go upper and upper and upper in the clouds. Uh, so they, it's fuzzy at the end. You don't have a clear understanding of what's happening. So for any other solution, commercial or not, or open source, uh, you get out of these few metrics that they collect, you get an alarm that something is wrong. And then what? What do you do? You don't have all the information inside this tool to troubleshoot the issue. So it says, yes, you have a spike or uh, you have uh, uh, dropped packets on a network interface or you have, uh, I don't know, uh, retransmits on a network interface. Then what? What do you do? What people do today is that they go to the console. So you have to go and start issuing, you know, exotic commands and no, I don't know, 20 or 30 different tools in order to figure out what is the problem. And actually, you cannot browse these tools. You have to you have to have prior knowledge in order to suspect and say, okay, let's. I think that this tool may help me. Let's run it. And you have to know the tool. You have to be, you know, understand the information it provides and the likes. What my data does in this case is that it gives you all the metrics in a browsable and interactive uh, web page. So what you do in this case is uh, you go visually to see what the problem is, what, what other metrics may be influencing or have been influenced by the spike you see or the problem you see. Uh, of course, we are, we are trying this, we are trying to... to, to in, to enhance the tool in order to have automated things uh, to help you. So when you highlight something to get automatically a list of the metrics that may be related to that. Huh? So you, you highlight the spike on the CPU or the spike on the uh, network retransmits and the tool may tell you that, okay, look, we have an attack or this network interface is saturated or we have... Uh, uh, this other problem that uh, the CPU or the IRQs or the temperature or whatever else that may be related uh, correlates to that spike. Is that better? Yeah, that's fantastic. It's a great answer. Um, this is a good time for uh, our, our break. And um, uh, so I can let you know that... Um, that this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is software that already thousands of our fans use every day to protect their data online. Hacking methods have grown even more sophisticated, and at home you're much more vulnerable. And we're sure in most cases that you don't have your own IT department to protect you from online threats. So it's important that you take action on your own to secure the devices you use for work. That's why we recommend using ExpressVPN for the best online protection possible. Uh, now we've been talking here on uh, uh, at Twit about ExpressVPN for so long that you already understand why encrypting your network data is so important, but many of you still haven't acted and why might that be? Well, uh, you might be thinking security threats don't affect you personally. But not using ExpressVPN is kind of like leaving your front door unlocked every time you go out. So nothing might happen for years, but when a break-in does happen, it's really, really bad. So one of the easiest solutions to secure your internet data is with ExpressVPN. You click one button on your computer or smartphone and you're protected. 
Uh, so the question is, why haven't you used your ExpressVPN yet? Well, you can find find out how to actually do it by visiting a special link right now. That's expressvpn.com slash floss, expressvpn.com slash floss to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free with a one-year package. So protect your internet today with the VPN you need to keep your data safe. That's expressvpn.com slash floss. So, so back to our, our, our guest, Costa Sousis of, of NetData, um, which I'm coming to utterly believe in. You're very convincing, I have to say. Why would anybody <laughs> want anything else? Um, uh, and uh, so let's see. Um, so I actually have a question from, from, from the back channel. Um, will, it cor- will NetData correlate events to help find root cause like expensive solutions like Splunk, that comes from Digimax, by the way, are one of our one of our followers. Yes, we are currently developing this. Actually, yesterday I saw the first uh, the first beta we used internally, uh, the first proof of concept. Let's say uh, this is in the this is on the road. This is coming. Yes, fantastic. And it's so, going to be free. It's going to be free. Excellent. So it's a good question. <laughs> it turns out, um, <laughs> I, I, I have another one which um, uh, it has to do with the the, the cloud native landscape. So, so um, when I when I dug around, I I found that you're you're active in the cloud native computing foundation, and um, and the cloud native landscape, which which I learned about um, uh, through the Linux Foundation and visiting what they do, and. And that's actually part of, I mean, and you're one of many little chiclets they have. And it's a really clever thing, this cloud native landscape um, in in one one section of it there. So I'm kind of wondering where you stand out there. But also, um, and you could treat this as a separate question, it may or may not be relevant to your work. I don't know. But um, but that's 5G it's because an awful lot of what's happening with 5G is, is with local clouds. 5G is actually going to shard clouds into a zillion little pieces that have the lowest latency possible. That's part of the point with 5G and and part of what the cloud native landscape is about is how the different um, different companies within that on the on an open source level are all collaborating. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about where you fit in that and what you see coming. So uh, NetData is the third most most start project in uh, the CNCF landscape. But uh, we are not related, Nedeta is not related, uh, has not been adopted by CNCF. Uh, so we just participate in the landscape uh, for, for people to, to find us, uh, for people to see how we compare with other solutions. Um, uh, CNCF does a great job. Uh, I think they are, uh, they are trying to standardize a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, stuff that are before that, it was really a mess. Uh, so every vendor, every community did their own. So they are trying to standardize stuff, which is perfect. Uh, and we love that. And uh, we support CNCF uh, by, by all means. Um, so I, I don't know I don't know how, uh, what you would like to know more about CNCF. I, I think they are doing a great job. We support them. Uh, we are on one of the best projects on uh, on the CNCF landscape. NetData is cloud native by definition. Um, well, that, that's good. Do you, you have any? Do you have any insights into what's going on with five G? Just that that's uh, and where cloud is going there, because that's part of the. I mean, it's quite aside from the CNCF. I mean, nothing in the word in the words. The CNCF stands for it says 5G, but when I went to their event, it was like everybody was about 5G and what changes that's going to bring. And I'm wondering uh, if that's relevant for you C- at all. I, I think CNCF ha- is not related to 5G by any means, uh, and uh, so I don't know. I, I am not. I'm not able to tell. I don't well, really that's know. Good. It's, it's interesting to me because it's the well. That's what they what they talk up, and what's actually happening with the developer there may be another thing. Uh, we have another um, uh, another couple of questions coming in. Um, uh, one is uh, future plans about uh, 
uh, caching log events and the like, and and also about what license that you use. And I'm wondering yeah. if you could touch on that so, and then hand it back over to Jonathan, who knows more than I do. <laughs> so Nedata uh, is about uh, is released under GPL v3. Uh, so the latest uh, GNU public license. Um, we, of course, it is free open source software. Uh, at the same time, we use, uh, we develop a closed source cloud, uh, sorry, uh, a closed source SaaS offering uh, that currently is free. And actually what we release now is and will always be free. Uh, we plan to develop uh, enterprise-specific features in about a year from today. Um, so the idea is that uh, uh, we want all the world to experience this new way of monitoring systems and applications, infrastructure. And uh, so we have decided to give most of the value for free. Uh, what is was the, there was a second part in the question? What was it? Oh, the license. The, the license. The, you, already, you, know, actually, you, already, you already answered that. You have a, a GPLv3. Yeah. And the other, the other part was? Uh, let's see. Um, caching log events and the like, it says here. Oh, about, uh, so logs. About logs in the data today already collects uh, web server logs, all kinds of web server proxy logs. Uh, so HTTP, HTTP logs. And actually it turns them into very meaningful uh, metrics. So, and this is real time. The good thing with NetData is that everything is real time. And it automatically also attaches alarms, etc. So if you run a web server or a website or an API, uh, trying the data, you will be impressed on how easy this thing is and uh, how many insights it gives you out of the box. Um, but logs is generally a much, much bigger thing. Eh? Uh, we are talking about custom application logs or structured logs. So the data is not yet there. We think that uh, we will be able to enter this market, the logs market, much later, not, uh, not at the current state. Uh, Costa, if I can, if I can jump in, there's something that uh, is a is a really interesting thing you can do with this. Uh, I, I've developed something similar to this in the past, and so that's part of the reason why I kind of know what's going on with what you're doing here. Um, what is what is super useful is to be able to, and it sounds like you've got some of this working already, to be able to go to your your graph, and then you see a huge spike in your graph. And what I got working that I just loved was to be able to highlight that spike and then get a, a log report for these are the log messages that happened uh, in the time that you just highlighted. And boy, something like that is just super useful for being able to, to look at, I've got weird data here. Where is that coming from? Let me pull the log messages that I think are going to be related to that. And I would love to see yeah. something like that on, on your, uh, your roadmap. Yes, Yes, and I agree that uh, we have discussed this already internally, and what you described is actually logs MVP one. Eh? It's the minimum viable product one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the first thing to be developed. To be developed. <laughs> yes. Uh, have you guys, so this project that I was working on, somebody uh, challenged me on this right before the funding dried up for it, of course. Um, have you guys considered doing something like uh, um, machine learning to, to push all this data into? And then you've got, uh, you know, TensorFlow or something looking at it would then say, none of our exact alarms have been hit, but because of everything that I'm seeing and correlating together, something looks weird. A human should take a look at that. Have you guys thought about that? Yes. So the first thing is that the data, uh, all the alarms of the data are smart enough. So in a few, in a few cases, actually, the data can predict that uh, something will happen, even without artificial intelligence, without machine learning. Uh -huh. uh, this is just statistical algorithms. You know, we use rolling windows and the, the standard things, the, 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 the industry standard things for uh, having generic alarms uh, without, you know, uh, hard coding specific threshold. So it will not hit if your request go above, I don't know, 1,000 or 500 or something. It, it has rolling windows to understand if you have a sudden 
spike or a, or, a, or or something goes deep. Um, so, uh, but still, um, we are improving this with a lot of more algo- algorithms. So, the whole point, you know, is for the system to figure out if the situation at hand has never happened before. Mm-hmm. So you see the data runs on the system all the time. Right? So after some time, it, it should know how the system behaves, right? how, what happens on the system. So there should be a, a, an algorithm there to figure out if this, the situation that is happening now is abnormal. It's, it's, it's not like before, never before. Um, so we are experimenting with this. We have a few, uh, a team with uh, machine learning engineers that is working on uh, experimenting actually on how this can be done. You know, the difficulty with this is, is, is this. Even if you have two servers, two identical machines, uh, the same software, the same application, the same database, everything is the same, but you change the use. So one is the database that you use for servicing users, customers, but the other, the, cl- the cluster, the replica of this database uh, is used for backups. The use case is completely different. The machine learning of the first machine, the, 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 the trained data of the first machine cannot be used effect- effectively on the second, although the machines are identical. So we have, in order to solve this problem, we have to have something running permanently and learning permanently on every server, on every node you have. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. But uh, we are experimenting with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting times we live in when something like that is, is even possible. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to dig into the difference between your uh, what you offer on the business side uh, for a fee, your software as a service, versus the open source side. Um, First off, how much of a difference is there between those two offerings? And then do you guys have a game plan for getting your uh, proprietary features eventually pushed over into the open source code? Okay, there are many, many, many models for monetizing open source software. Uh, Mm -hmm. So what we are committed is this. The first thing is the open source agent is the only agent uh, that will ever exist. It will have all the features, it will be open source, and it will be free. The next thing is that we are developing a SaaS offering. This is not open source, but this offering is still massively free. So all the monitoring functionality that you get, you know, uh, that you get out, that you will get out of Nedata and Nedata Cloud, the SaaS offering, is free. To understand how this will work and how at the end we will, uh, we will have a profitable business, uh, I would like you to think GitHub. Okay, GitHub is about Git. Okay, the Git thing, so repos and committing code and all this kind of stuff together with the issues and the light project management they have and the likes, everything is free. They never sell any of the core value they provide. Mm-hmm. What they sell is a control to the repo. So if your repo is free, uh, sorry, is, uh, is public, it is free. But if you want a repo for your team only, for your privacy, that, that you want privacy in it, then you have to pay. You have to go to get a subscription. The same thing can happen uh, with monitoring. So, For example, service status pages. If you want to have public service status pages, they are free. Uh, the same thing can happen, uh, you know, with um, uh, a, a plethora of features related to monitoring. Let's get uh, then Slack. What Slack does is that uh, everything is free up to 10,000 messages. So you can use Slack for free. You don't have to pay. But up to 10, up to 10 up with a history of up to 10,000 messages. The same can happen with monitoring. So all the monitoring can be free uh, up to a week of history or a few days or a month or whatever of, of history. If you want to go further further in the past, then you, you need a sub, uh, to buy a subscription. So what we're trying to do here is change 
even the pricing model, even you know the 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 the, the business model that these services are offered. Um, so we are trying to give all the monitoring value for free for everyone. Actually, I want all the universities, I want all the home labs, I want all the small companies to use NET data for free. And actually, to sustain this, what we do is that we use the open source agents as a distributed database. So instead of collecting all the data, the user data in our premises, in our cloud environment, uh, we say, no, every, all the data are yours, are inside your servers. We don't need your data. So what we do is that we query all your net data in real time. So we give you the impression that everything is, is, uh, is uh, on a single site, but actually it is not. Data are coming from all over the world, all over your network. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Uh, we, we do have a couple more questions from the chat room that I do want to quickly get to. Uh, Jojo Dancer says, what platforms can this monitor? Obviously, we've talked about Linux, but do you have support for Mac OS, Windows, uh, the BSDs, uh, things like that? So it can monitor Linux, uh, BSD, FreeBSD, and Mac OS. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we have a trick to monitor, to monitor uh, Windows. So we scrape the uh, Prometheus exporter from, for Windows. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are going to port it later this year to Windows 2. So your the data will be installed on, on Windows natively. And, and then Retcon5 asks, uh, is it written in C? And so I'm curious, what are some of the, uh, <laughs> the underlying technologies that make this work? Yeah, so the core of my data is written in C. Uh, most of the external plugins are written in Go because you know it's it's uh, it's hard to you know to, to to connect all the applications using C code. It's it's not that efficient. So we use C, Go, Python, Node, everything. Eh? You can write custom plugins in uh, almost any language you like. Uh, but the core is in C, yes, for performance. All right. Very cool. And, and then something else I'm curious about. I, I get some fun answers from this question, and that is, what is the strangest thing that you've seen someone do with your project? What's the weirdest thing someone has monitored or even more out-of-the-box uh, <laughs> ideas than that? So there was a guy that was trying to monitor a, 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 <laughs> a factory, the motors and the, you know, the sensors on a factory with the data. Um, and actually, the guy wanted to go even with sub-second uh, data collection. Uh, then, as I said at the beginning, there is a, there, there is a company that installs the data on every sensor. They provide in home, it's a home automation solution, and they provide uh, they install the data on every next to every sensor. Uh, so. Um, we have also a, a few IoT companies that distribute the data agents all over, you know, all over the place with uh, unreliable networks and the likes. So yeah, everything I have seen quite quite a few strange solutions, let's say. <laughs> I, I have a couple of brief questions before we uh, before we wrap. The first of is uh, is there a question you would like us to have asked that we haven't asked yet? Me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. I, I, I am perfectly fine. I, I thought maybe I was putting you to sleep there. Um, uh, and um, and and one is that what's your favorite um, uh, text editor and scripting language? It's a sort of a standard question we have for people. <laughs> That could be personally, or it could be in, in uh, otherwise. So, uh, for uh, ad hoc uh, stuff, I use Sublime uh, on every operating system, actually. And uh, for uh, IDE, I use uh, Visual Studio Code. Excellent. Well, th well, thanks so much. <laughs> I, you, you have me believing completely in what you're doing, and uh, and and Thank I you. think it's probably. I suspect that it's fun to work for you. I mean, you're you're having you're, ha you're having a good time, and I think that's just great. So um, I have to go back to my thing here. Uh, uh, I guess this is a this is, this is a wrap. Uh, uh, th thanks, everybody. Um, oh, there's we have the of course we have our joke question, which is: uh, Do you do anything with blockchain? 
which <laughs> it almost has to be. <laughs> Me? A gay? Blockchain? No. <laughs> I guess that's the answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, so thanks so much. Um, uh, we've been talking to uh, to, to Costas Sousis, the CEO and founder of NetData, um, uh, which is doing an absolutely fabulous job, I can tell. And uh, um, looking forward into digging more deeply, if it's possible, into what you've already told us. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. <laughs> you too. Or night, where you are. So so we're, <laughs> we're in the... So Jonathan, so where uh, you handled most of that? I'm impressed by how much you know about it. What do you? Where? What's your takeaways at this point? It, it's really interesting because one, I do some uh, some network operations and uh, stuff like that. So I've I've worked with uh, I mentioned the other solution, an old solution, Cacti. Uh, I'm fairly familiar with that and pulling data. Uh, and then back a couple of years ago, I actually landed a six-month contract to start the process of developing something that uh, interestingly turned out a lot like what net data is, um, which was a lot of fun so, to so develop. So you, you could have started a company uh, with that with that. Yeah, knowledge. so we – we got a uh, we got a cyber grant from the U.S. government to do security research for their their old outdated machines that they had that they still have to run and maintain, and so we started looking at this process of well, what can we do to try to pull data off of these machines and and protect them? And the solutions that we came up with were things like, well, let's pull a whole bunch of metric data, like he was talking about, and let's pull log information, and then let's Watch those for for strange uh, spikes in the data, and then if something like that happens, let's alert the user and give them a snapshot of what's going on on that system at that particular moment. And it's 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 really interesting because it sounds like they've come to NetData has come to some of the same conclusions that that we did about how this needs to be presented. So it's it's been fun to to chat with them and see where they've gone uh, the same direction that we went and slightly diff different directions than we went. So, so uh, since it's free, are you um, tempted to start using it yourself in some way? Is that relevant? I am. I, I am extremely tempted. Uh, in fact, I, I I got distracted during the show by doing a little bit of googling about what well, what does it take to to install this. And the first guide I got was you know download it and compile it from source. And so I kind of said, well, let's let's not do that right now during the show. But uh, <laughs> if, if 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 I had found a prepackaged. Uh, Prepackaged binary that I could just install on my server. I I would have had it working by the end of the show. Yeah, it's super interesting. Wow. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and, and I'm, I'm sitting here with you know a laptop and a phone. So is that like I <laughs> I'm in the same I'm in the same uh, uh, in, you know in this in, in, at the same um, level of expertise. I, I was impressed that um, I, I actually just love the spirit of the guy. I mean, he's clearly having a great time, and that's that's a sign. I thought, God, I I, I want to hire a guy like that to run my company. Um, you know, he's got a sense of humor. Is not just that his English is perfect. Um, he seems like a, a fun to work for, and you know, a worldwide company like that has got to be an, an interesting thing to run. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there there are a lot of those at this point, but that's. To me, that's been the future for a long time. But watching it happen live is kind of a neat, a neat thing. Yeah, well, that's that's one of the the interesting things about the internet and where we're at now with it is, you know, before people were so separated, and now it's just one. Um, we're one. Boy, I I hate to say this because I'm gonna it's gonna sound really weird, but the the world has kind of become one big community in a way, um, because you can you can collaborate with somebody, you know, between the internet and Git. And the Linux kernel, I mean, the the idea of, and I guess open source software licenses themselves, uh, kind of just this idea of people writing computer code and working on these projects has become liberated. You know, anybody anywhere can just jump in and start writing. And you see companies like this as a result. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny that back when, the, I mean, I saw the internet coming, though I couldn't get on it. You had to be in a university or a big company back in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, but I saw it coming, and and when it started to explode in 1995, um, 
which is when it became commercialized and we had ISPs and dial-up and all that, um, I started calling it the giant zero and I started writing about that. In fact, I have a book that I'm kind of partly written about it that that what it did was it, re it reduced to zero the distance between everybody on earth. I mean, in, mm -hmm. in, in real time, I mean, in, in close enough to real time, I mean, latencies respected it, 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 it had it eliminated borders, and I became known as a, a as a cyber utopian for that, which I have <laughs> remained ever since. Um, and and Joyce, my wife, added another part to that metaphor, which is that it also got rid of gravity. Like we're living in this, we're we're digital. We're not just physical. We're digital now. We're interacting digitally, and we're still embodied animals. But we're we're living in this other place that's not even a place. It doesn't even have gravity. There is a, a, all prepositions don't apply. You're not really on it. You're, or in it. What is it? There's no it. It's just that there's this absence of distance between people. But she also says it's kind of like living without gravity. And it would take us a while, this is part of her case, that to learn, like astronauts do, how to get along without gravity. And I, I think now that we've all been forced to stay home and do what this company is doing naturally, obviously you have to, if you get, you're in 18 time zones, you know, and, and acting in real time, um, you're kind of in that space. But I think we're all kind of learning and another way of being together um, that's that's kind of like there's a lot of stuff that was way out there in the future. We kind of knew it was there. We're going to have to make these changes that all of a sudden we're having to make. And and, uh, and and that's why I'm optimistic about a company like his that's already well adapted into that world and coming from a country like he does, which is like we're not going to run the world. OK, we're Greece. <laughs> It's like we're a small country. We started everything, you know, as as you know from having watched, you know, my big fat Greek yeah. wedding and other wonderful movies, you know, that that the Greeks invented everything, which means it's probably true. Um, but, uh, you know, but that, that, you know, that there's this, this it's suddenly like the future went from eventually to now we're like in a now that's very different. Yeah, it, it's also neat to see that they have such a, a good handle on the the open source mindset too, uh, because you know yeah, it, it yeah. sounds it sounds like essentially everything they're doing they're just pushing out there, and uh, you, you know at least all of the uh, um, the actual feature set for what people would use on their machines, and you know and going with GPLv3 I think is is great too. But um, when when you think about the internet and how that has brought everybody together, it's it's important that we don't forget that this idea of open source software that's that has actually been a big part of the driver of what's made all of that work yeah it's it's funny i mean um uh you know i'm i've been at this long enough um i'm sure some of most of the viewers and <laughs> listeners know this that uh, uh i was with linux journal really from its founding in 1994 when linux was at v1 um mm -hmm until last summer when the magazine folded but the um and i was editor-in-chief at the end of that uh but the early on i mean it was like we were on a mission and uh and linux was you know very much a minority nowhere operating system but uh some of us including the guy who started linux journal his name is phil hughes saw it coming he said no no it's going to take mm -hmm. over it's going to win it's going to you know there's no other way that linux is the right one it's going to take over um and then with open source, we, you know, there was a decision made by a bunch of geeks to promulgate open source rather than free software because it was, um, uh, it, it it was a better way to to pitch free software. It started out and and uh, with a bunch of licenses that actually only started with a few at that time. But to but there's this. It reminds where we are now. Reminds me of my. I had a business partner in a company I was with many years ago, who was really tough to argue against. Uh, he he was a, he should have been a lawyer. He wasn't. He was a natural businessman. But when you won an argument with him, all of a sudden you didn't have the satisfaction of it. It's like it's like you're playing one on one with a guy and all of a sudden he's on your team. He's just he switched his jersey and he's now on your side and you don't have the satisfaction of having humbled and humiliated him. And and for many years that was Microsoft, you know. Now Microsoft is like the largest contributor to mm -hmm. uh, to the Linux Foundation, and you know, and I know lots of people there that are like, you know, open sourced weebs that completely, you know, are are in on this thing. And 
And it's not that satisfaction of having defeated them because their corpse isn't <laughs> laying over there steaming because you, know, you brought lightning down on them. It's kind of like, yeah, you're right. Okay, correct. Now we're we're together on this thing. So, so that sense it's, of struggle isn't there. It's kind of weird, you know, so the narrative changed and it's uh -huh. a different narrative, but I'm not sure what the narrative is now. So that's part of what I'd like to discover with this show. What is the new narrative here? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting how many people come and you know we ask those last two questions, and when we ask about their favorite text editor, it's more and more often people are saying, "Oh, Visual Studio Code." And the first time I heard that, you know, kind of the hair on the back of my neck stood up because like, ah, oh, that's a Microsoft product. But now you get to look into that, and they've made that they've made that thing fully open source, and it's a good program and a really neat project. So yeah, the 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 world has definitely changed in the last ten years, let's say. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Jonathan. Um, and uh, thank you, Back Channel and everybody else, and uh, for making this less, more interesting and less painful than I expected it to be. <laughs> so, thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Hey, hey, Doc, it was it was great to be here with you, and uh, I'm I'm glad I got to be here for your inaugural show. And I thought it went I thought it went really well, all things considered. Looking forward to uh, uh, hopefully a good handful of years with you at the helm. Hey, folks, I am Micah Sargent, co-host of Tech News Weekly right here on the Twit Network. Yes, Tech News Weekly is a show we do every week, Jason Howell and myself, where we talk to people who are making and a break in the tech news. That's right. It's journalists. It's inventors. It's app makers. It's everybody who's bringing the tech news in a given week. It's all the stuff you want to know about in bite-sized chunks in a fantastic package. So be sure to subscribe. It's twit.tv slash TNW.